Well, good morning. Ryan and Rachel are usually here to kick the lights on, so I'll see if I can figure out which one is light. Can't be that hard. Not much, but we'll do. Two of them. It's kind of strange. I, I woke up today, and, and uh, I always do kind of some final adjustments on my message, and I decided uh, at about 8, eh, about 6.30, I was going to preach two sermons today. One was going to be a sermon on uh, a sermon on the mount, which we've been going through, and then the other one was going to be a sermon for Mother's Day, uh, because we have plenty of women and mothers in the congregation, and I hesitated slightly, realizing not everyone in this room uh, is a mom, but everybody in this room has a mom. So it's kind of applicable when you look at, look at that, and, and also in Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus says, truly I say to you that there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So I've kind of looked at that and, you know, we have some in this congregation that maybe don't have children, but, uh, you know, one, one in particular, I kind of see her as a um, kind of a mother figure. She's very encouraging to me, uh, very loving. Um, very challenging, and so I thought this was uh, an appropriate beginning of the sermon, I guess, and then we'll get on to sermon two. But sermon one, just some interesting things about Mother's Day. Uh, it's a it's a holiday that's celebrated every year, uh, but obviously on a different day. It's the second Sunday of the month. There are more phone calls made on Mother's Day than any other holiday. Uh, I made one this morning. Uh, I'm sure some of you did as well. It's the third highest selling holiday for flowers and plants. Who here, who here who's a mother got flowers or plants this morning? Just this side of the room. So, oh, okay, we got one over here. Any that gave flowers or plants? Good, all right, good job. Both of you, all right, very good. Uh, it was one of the earliest Mother's Day celebrations was in ancient Greek. Uh, Greece and the Greeks would have spring celebrations in honor of Rhea, the goddess of fertility, motherhood, and generation. So it's also another pagan holiday we celebrate. The moniker mom comes from babies because uh, it's uh, the first thing most babies can vocalize is the ma sound. And ma, gray, mom. Uh, so history of American Mother's Day starts with a peacemaker named Ann Jarvis during the Civil War. She was trying to connect mothers from both sides of the line together, and so she put together this, uh, this community between them, and she started a committee in 1868, which kind of established the first glimmer of today's holiday. It was called Mother's Friendship Day. Uh, her daughter, Anna, wanted to create a legacy for her mother, and so she started an official holiday, and the first Mother's Day was celebrated in 1908 heard you guys talking about something in 1903, Kitty Hawk. Yeah, you and Steve, I overheard you talking about Kitty Hawk in 1903, so five years before that or after that was when the first Mother's Day was officially celebrated. Woodrow Wilson signed it into law in 1914. I know this is all super interesting, and you're going to remember every bit of these facts. Um, 
Anna Jarvis later tried to stop what Mother's Day became because it became so commercialized. The billions and hundreds of millions of dollars spent on Mother's Day gifts. It's just a hallmark fantasy for them, and that's the most popular gift on Mother's Day is cards. Um, I'll say all that to say that there's a lot of history on Mother's Day, and I think it was last year, um, Ridge grabbed a piece of wood from the, the woodshed, since we have a woodshed for our children and for mom and dad as well, and he grabbed a piece of wood and he said, I want to make mom something for, uh, I believe it was Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day. It might have been her birthday, but I think it might have been Mother's Day. Either way, it's for mom. And he needed some help with it. So he came to me and he says, I want to, I want to put something together for mom. And I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to burn something into some wood. So we looked at some Bible verses. And, you know, the only thing I helped him with was the wood burning, the carving. But in his own seven-year-old brain, he came up with this thing that's uh, it's on a piece of wood. It's up above the kitchen sink on the right on the wall. And it says, Mom... You are the path to love. My seven-year-old thought of that. I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. Uh, that was 100% him. And it seems like in today's world, if you look at statistics, the concept of motherhood is almost despised anymore. It's looked at as something negative. It's looked at as a, a woman giving up her life of freedom. Um, it's a woman saying, basically, your self is over. It's no longer about you. And I can tell you from my experience watching my wife and watching uh, many of the women in here who have had children that we've come to know and watch, is there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, as soon as you find out that you're, uh, you've conceived, um, your brain now no longer thinks of just you. It's everything is, how will this affect my baby? Before the baby's even born. What I eat, what I drink, how much I exercise how much sun I'm getting, I mean, just whatever, how I sleep, uh, how much stress is in my body, every single thing that you do somehow is thinking about mom and thinking about child. And so uh, my encouragement this morning is there, there was a time in my uh, past when I was, I don't want to say estranged, but I hadn't talked to my own biological mother. I was never like that with Beck, mom, mom I call her. I've always had a good relationship and we've never not been able to talk about something, even though she thinks I don't talk to her enough, which she's right. But with my own biological mom, there was a time when I was, you know, for about a year where we didn't talk at all. And I know that was hard on her. It was hard on me as well. But my, my encouragement is that if, if you have a mom and she is with us today, take a minute to call her, tell you love her, uh, give her a hug, send her a note, a card, uh, text, whatever. I would call would probably be preferred, but if the text is the best you can do right now, then do it. Um, and just recognize that she's the one that God chose to create a miracle in her to bring you into this world that we live in. So that's Sermon 1. Now we get to get on to the, uh, are you clapping because it's over? <laughs> sermon 1? All right. Sermon 2. Sermon on the Mount. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, to you mothers out there. Uh, the old couldn't be here without you. Uh, <laughs> I do like that, Rick. Sermon 2. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We have been going through this for quite a while now, and up to date it all seems pretty obvious to me as I read through the Beatitudes and I read through the teachings. When you look at the blessings, you can see 
that Jesus very clearly says, blessed are you who do this, and blessed are you who do this. And it's not really debatable. When you look at these things, you go, oh, okay, blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, they will be called sons of God. None of the blessings that we find in Matthew 5, 1 through 10 are blessings that we would say, well, I don't think Jesus meant that. I think it's pretty clear that most would agree, probably across the board, when he says, blessed are those who... Uh, are seeking righteousness. What, what is that? Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfi- satisfied. We all believe that if we hunger and thirst for it, like that's the only thing that matters, or the most thing that mat- the, ma- matters most to us, is that we will be satisfied, we will be fulfilled. Because anybody who's tried it, has experienced it, we're fulfilled as they continue to study the Word. So we look at the Beatitudes and we don't argue about them. We look at the salt and the light and we go, okay, Jesus made a statement and says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And so People don't argue about that in churches. They don't debate those things in churches. They just recognize that Jesus says, you are the salt, you are the light. And then Jesus says, I'm going to come to fulfill the law. I came here to fulfill it, to complete it. And we kind of all agree, for the most part, there's a few sects here and there within Christianity or within uh, Protestantism that, that maybe take this to a different level. But most of the time, people agree that Jesus came to fulfill it, complete it, and then we move on to the law of grace and the law of the New Testament. And then the next one that we've talked about is anger. And I think everybody agrees what Jesus is saying is pretty cut and dry. If you've just gotten angry with your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. I mean, he goes from the physical to the spiritual. And then he talks about lust. And we talked about that. And I don't think anybody could argue with this concept of lust. And I don't think Jesus is saying that, okay, if you do this, that you should gouge out your right eye. He's saying it's better for you to go through life maimed, but just cut whatever it is out of your life that's causing you to f- fall away from me. And then, the, and then we went through divorce, and that's where it kind of starts getting like, well, what about this, and what about this? That's kind of the first one within the Beatitudes that a lot of churches debate over and discuss and whether or not second marriages or third marriages or fifth marriages are okay. Some say they are, some say they aren't, but we kind of hit on that some. And then the last one was oaths that we talked about. And I think everybody agrees that what Jesus is saying here is be the person of integrity as a Christian that when you say yes, that's it. When you say no, that's it. You don't need to swear by anything. You don't need to swear by the footstool uh, of God. You don't need to swear by Jerusalem. You don't need to swear by the earth. You don't need to swear by the hair on your head because you are such a man of your word or one of your word that when you say yes or yes or no or no, People will go, yeah, that's as solid as gold. That's, that's like, oh, it's not going anywhere. And then we get into this passage on retaliation. Before we get into that passage, I want to clarify or I want to reiterate something that I've kind of adopted in some of my own mind and my thinking about Scripture. Is that we talked about shadows a while back maybe last week or the week before, and I was writing, and I might have been talking to the baseball kids about it, I think, how I was on a motorcycle, and I was coming from Glade Park, and there was a shadow cast to my right, and I could see the detail of it. I'm, you know, going like this, going, wow, this is cool. Well, the Old Testament, I see, is just shadows into the New Testament. And so people get really confused about the Old Testament. I'm like, no, you're just looking at the shadow. The clarification comes in the New Testament, and sometimes they're mysteries. Sometimes you have to seek them out. Sometimes there are things that are said that are fairly ambiguous, and you have to go, well, I wonder what we're talking about there. And I'll give you an example in Exodus chapter 4, and many of you have heard me use this example before, but in Exodus 4, um, 
God was telling Moses to go back to Egypt to free the Israelites from slavery. He's like, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell them, hey, uh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, we're going to take them. We're going to go worship God. And they, so he's, he's on his way back, and Moses sees the burning bush, and, and he's giving these signs. And so God says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt and go get my people. And Moses says, all right, I've been given this wonderful, amazing task. And he, he starts to head back there. And it says here in, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, he's on his way back to meet with Pharaoh. And it says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought him to put him to death. So here God gave Moses this, this job, this very important job to fulfill prophecy over time. And he says, instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him. Then Sapporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The interesting thing about this passage, we're not going to get into the passage, but the interesting thing about the passage is it doesn't even fit in the narrative. It, it doesn't even fit in the story. There's, there's seems like no point in God inserting these four or five verses uh, three verses, four, five, six, and seven, how, four, five, six, three verses that he inserts into this narrative that don't even seem to fit. But there's a reason why God puts these things in there. There's, there's a shadow story here in Exodus chapter 4 that goes into the prophets of Jeremiah, it goes into Ezekiel, it goes into the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, and it goes into the first... Uh, the first council in Acts 15. I mean, there's all these awesome points that God has made, Galatians, that God is making, but he starts back here as the shadow in Exodus 4. And he does the same thing, I feel like, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And God said, uh, you need a covering. Or they felt they needed a covering. So they went and got some, some leaves, and they, they made some clothing out of leaves, and they, they were still hiding from God as they were walking in the garden of the Lord, and the Lord said, you know, why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked. Well, who told you you're naked? Have you eaten of the tree of the fruit? fruit? Yes, we have. Oh, okay. Well, you're, you're going to die. Like I said, you're going to die, but I have to have a sacrifice. I have to clothe you properly, and so he takes a sacrifice, and he clothes them, and so that is, again, we're not going to get into the clothing side of it. However, that is just a shadow of something that we're, we see in the New Testament. And we see the clothing shadow happen with the priesthood. We see it with Joseph and the coat of many colors. We see it with the armor of David and Goliath. I mean, there's all of these things that we, with these clothing stories that we see in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, it says that we are clothed with Christ. And so there's these passages that I would call shadow stories. And... Um, in this passage in Matthew, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you have heard that it was said, um, you have heard that it was said, you have heard in the days of old, sometimes we need to look at these passages as shadow stories, as they're pointing to the true intent of what Jesus wanted us to know. So, in Matthew chapter 5, this morning we're going to talk about that, and we, we know the passage, uh, we're going to read most of it, and then we're going to probably go as far as I think we should go of what we can take in this morning. 
In Matthew 5, verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but anyone, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I want you guys to understand as we go along. There are no words in this Bible that don't have purpose. There's a reason why it says right cheek and not left cheek. We're going to try and figure it out, but we've we got to be careful not to read the scriptures and just kind of flippantly go through them and seek it like you would seek it for gold and silver. So he says, turn to him the other also if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I think it's very simple to look in the scriptures. It's very easy very common to look at the scriptures and say, for example, do not refuse or uh, give to the one who begs from you. There are people that every day pull up to the Chick-fil-A stop sign or every day they pull up to the broad or the, the, the stop sign or the stop light and somebody's asking for money and they give them money and they will use this passage as the justification for their action in serving God because it's done out of faith. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you there are, it's very easy to look at these and just take them very little literally, and look at him and say, this is what it says, this is what I'm going to do. So this idea of, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, we're all familiar with that passage, and one of the biggest questions I get from my high school kids especially, well, well Jesus said, turn the other cheek, does that mean that if somebody hits me, I can't hit them back, or I'm not supposed to fight? And I go, well, let me tell you a story. I was in second or third grade, and I had this arch nemesis named Justin Reed, who also happened to be one of my best friends. And he and I would get into some sort of a wrestling match at least three times a week. I mean, we would get, I mean, not just like joking around. We would get bloody and dirty, and, you know, we just, we fought a lot. And I'd go to my dad about it, and my dad would give me advice. And so one day I was at the playground, and we were, you know, we're mad at each other for some reason. And... I'm turned around this way, and I feel somebody slug me from behind. Well, I turn around, and there's Justin Reed. So I slug him back. And he goes crying, and he runs off to the principal, uh, Mrs. Norris. And I felt her paddle many times in the four years I went to school there. She had a wooden paddle. Uh, I got spanked one time for starting a rumor that she put tacks in her paddle. I got paddled, and I told people that she put tacks in the paddle, and then I got paddled for that. So I learned that lying was also bad. So I punch this kid, and, and I get called to the principal's office. He runs to the principal's office, and I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm okay. I was just defending myself. So he comes back with a grin on his face. Mrs. Norris wants to see you. Okay, so I go to Mrs. Norris's office, and I'm kind of scared, and she says, what happened? I said, well, Justin hit me, and I hit him back. Well, why'd you hit him back? Because my dad said I should. She said, what? I said, my dad said if somebody hit me, I should hit him back. Don't ever start a fight, but if somebody hits you, you have a right to hit him back. I said, that's what my dad said, so that's what I did. I don't think your dad said that, Nathan. My dad said that, Mrs. Norris. Hi, Rod, this is uh, Phyllis Norris from Carlton Oaks Christian School. Uh, I'm with Nathan in the office again, and uh, he hit a kid, and he said that you said it was okay that if the kid hits him, that he could hit him back. And I know that's not true, is it? 
Uh, yes, ma'am, that is true. That's what I told him. Oh. Well, the problem is he hit the wrong kid. So <laughs> I thought Justin hit me, and I turned around, and he was the closest one, so I punched Justin. It was some other kid that walked by me and hit me. Apparently, I wanted to, people wanted to hit me. I don't know why. I know you can't imagine either. So I get hit by somebody. I punch Justin back, and that's a question that I get often from high school kids. If somebody punches you based on turn the other cheek, can you hit them back? Or can I protect my family from a bad person if they walk up and start beating on them? I mean, you've seen how crazy it is today. You can watch videos 24-7 right now. You can get online, and you can see somebody that gets hit in a, uh, a subway or the, the high school kid recently that the, the teacher took away his video game pad, and he runs her down the hall. He tackles her, and he beats her unconscious until someone finally, this happened about two months ago, it's on video, getting viral, he finally, they finally, he's a big kid too, and he's probably your size, Steve, I mean, he's a big kid, he's a 16-year-old kid, but he beats this poor lady, and she's unconscious, they pull him off, um, there are stories like that, there's a dad in Florida a few days ago that punched an umpire over a situation with the umpire and the son, and he walked up to the umpire, and he punched the umpire, and he was a disabled veteran who was umpiring a game, a high school game, and knocked him out cold. I mean, we see these examples and we see these videos that are, go viral on the evil that's in this world right now. A guy jumps out of a car and there's a street musician playing, minding his own business. This guy kind of dances up, hits the kid, knocks him down, jumps back in the car, and they take off. Just pure evil. And so the question that I get, is it okay to fight back or is it okay to defend yourself in those situations? Or what if somebody just decided, you know what, I'm going to sue uh, I'm going to sue that person. I'm just going to sue them. I'm going to get a lawyer. I've got a lawyer. That's a cousin. I've got a lawyer this. I've got a lawyer that. So I'm just going to sue these people for everything I can get. And they do it just to extort money. And yet the scripture here says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them, let them have your cloak as well. So do we defend ourselves? What, what, is, what is Jesus saying here? And I want to break this down so that over the next two weeks we can have, hopefully, some sort of understanding of what Jesus is saying and getting to the root of the matter. So Matthew 5.38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. First blush, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. How many have quoted that in thinking of capital punishment? Capital punishment where somebody dies because they, somebody gets in the electric chair or the gas chamber or the gallows because they did something. Well, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Or you've heard it because somebody punches someone, they punch you back. Well, the law, as it's understood, is that it seems pretty obvious. If someone breaks your arm in a fight, guess what? You get to break their arm. If somebody knocks out your tooth in a fight, you get to knock their tooth out. If somebody gouges out your eye in a fight, you get their eye in return. That's what most people believe the Old Testament law is referring to. So go to, and I'm gonna, we're going to go where, the, where we get that. So Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21. I feel like we need more light in here. You guys, you guys doing okay? Everybody seeing all right? Titus, thumbs up. All right, maybe I'm just getting old. Exodus 21. We'll start in verse 22. A little bit of a lengthy reading, but it's interesting uh, information. When 
when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, and they're fighting and they hit a pregnant woman, verse 22, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. Okay, that's important, as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. So if two men are fighting, one of the men, the adversary of the husband, is that what strive means there, Steve? And he, he hits, and then there's, a, there's, a, there's an early uh, birth, and the child dies. The husband uh, shall impose a fine if the child lives, but if the child dies, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Here's an interesting thing. At this point, it's not eye for eye or tooth for tooth because it's a slave and a free man. The free man doesn't have to take his tooth out or his eye out now, so there's a difference between if it's a slave or a free man. When an ox scores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. So if you've got a rabid ox that goes crazy or a rabid dog goes crazy and you know about it, you don't do anything and it kills somebody, then you too are going to die. If a ransom is imposed on him and he shall give for the redemption of his life, whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man, son or daughter, he shall be dealt according to the same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver. Again, the slave is worth silver. The free man's son or daughter is worth a life. Verse 33, when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another's so that it dies and they shall sell the live ox and share its price and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it, he shall repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. So, obviously, there is consequences to actions of something that's under your responsibility. If you have an ox that's out of control, if you're fighting and you're out of control, somebody gets hurt, there's going to be a, a repercussion for your actions. Go to Leviticus chapter 24. I want to go over the three main passages that talk about what Jesus was saying when he says, you have heard that it was said... This is the, what he's referring to, I believe, in, Genesis, in Leviticus 24, starting in verse 10. The reason I'm going to start in verse 10 is because verse 17 through 24 talk about an eye for an eye, but there's kind of a setup here at the beginning in Leviticus 24.10. He says, now an Israelite woman's son, it's actually telling an actual story about something that happened. Now, an Israelite's an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. So, you, okay, and the Israelites, Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name, capital N, and cursed. 
Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilamith, the daughter of Debri, and of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. So um, you had two, two fighting. Um, and the, uh, the man who was half Israelite, half Egyptian, cursed God's name. So they brought, him before, uh, they brought him before the people, before the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So blaspheming the name of God was the death penalty by stoning. They even put their hands on his head. Whoever takes a human life surely shall be put to death. This is the eye for eye that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 5. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor and he has done it, shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. That's where we get the concept. And the Old Testament says if you get a broken arm or a burn as a result of somebody else's issues, the person who did it is also going to have the same thing happen to them. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. Whoever kills a person shall be put to death. There's the death penalty. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now go to Deuteronomy 19. A couple books later, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Again, these are the passages I believe Jesus is referring to. When he says, you have heard that it was said of old, or you've heard that it was said uh, the following, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with the offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious... Witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judge shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So if you're lying about somebody and the penalty for that lie of that person that's accused is stoning, and they find out you're lying, then guess what? you get stoned to death over it. Uh, What verse am I on here? Verse 18, the judges shall inquire, uh, 19, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I'm not trying to be redundant, but I want to show the three passages so we understand when we're looking at the the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, we want to know where it was said, so we can look at the context of what Jesus is talking about. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and that law, the law of the eye for eye, 
or the law of tooth for tooth is known as the lex talionis in the Latin. And it means law of retribution in kind or the law of tit for tat. Are you familiar with that in the law, Stephanie, at all? No, that was an old, this was from the secular, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're in the uh, post-Jesus time, but the pre-Jesus, I guess, lawyers probably would have been very familiar with that, the law of retribution, because it would have been something that they were dealing with as judges in the nation of Israel. What I find interesting, and I'm not making this theological statement here, is that when we, when we look at this, and I, and I read the commentators, and I read apologists on this passage, they, they, all, they all say this should not be taken from a literal sense. Every, everyone that I read, there was like, there, there, was, there was the oral tradition, and it was kind of the, we call them the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes would, would take the written word, and when they say, you know, you shall not do work on the Sabbath, and they go, well, define work. What is work? And so they would say, well, it's taking this many steps as work or, you know, making soup on that day as work. And so they would write down what God meant when he says, do no work on the Sabbath. And so when it says here, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, some of the commentators or many of the commentators are read saying that's, that's not to be taken literally. And here was the intent of the teaching. There was four reasons why they would teach this. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Old Law, and the first one was to limit the tribal vengeance that you had among, say, the tribe of Dan versus the tribe of Naphtali. You have the tribe of Simeon versus Levi, and if, if someone from the tribe of Levi hurts someone from the tribe of Simeon, they're going to say, well, what we need to do is make sure that it stays specifically to this one person and not become a tribal thing like the Hatfield McCoys. You've heard of the Hatfield McCoys? Who has not heard of the Hatfield McCoys? It's okay that you have it. But the adults, you know, it's basically two families that don't like each other for generation after generation after generation. So this law was supposed to be that the punishment would fit the crime, and it was, once it's done, it's done. It's not going to continue on. And so that was one of the, the more, the reasons why this law was put into place by God. Another is they believe that this was not, to be a vigilante justice. This is not taking matters into your own hands. There was written laws here in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the judges would carry out the sentence, and it wasn't something you took upon yourself. And thirdly, there was some believe in general that these laws were not carried out literally in any semi-civilized society, that there was really no examples other than this one that we have uh, about the son of the Egyptian and the Israelite woman who was stoned to death for blaspheming uh, God's name. But in civilized societies, we didn't have this actual eye for eye because they wouldn't take a good eye that was lost and, or a bad eye and then replace it with a good eye. They weren't going to say, well, we're not going to harm two people, but instead we're going to make financial restitution. So if there was a someone that was lost their eye because of uh, a uh, goring of an ox, they would say, well, now whoever owned the ox and they knew it was a problem, now we have to have that person go to the slave market, buy a slave that's going to be able to do the work for the person and make up for the productivity that is now lost because the person no longer has his eye. Um, and fourthly, there, was, there were laws in the Old Testament, and I think this is where my brain is going into looking at the Old Testament 
and looking at the New Testament and looking at the shadows in the Old Testament and looking at the, the actuals in the New Testament is that we have these laws or these Old Testament writings that actually conflict with the tit for tat. They conflict with the law of restitution. And that was my whole purpose for talking about Exodus chapter 4 with Moses. That was my whole purpose for, for talking about um, the clothing in Genesis chapter 3, is that we have these stories, and this is what you've got to understand if you want to be a Bible student, if you want to understand the Word of God, is that it should not be something that we look at and get overwhelmed by. We should get encouraged by it. We should get excited about it and go, why did God put in there this little blurb in Exodus 4 that doesn't seem to fit the story? Why would he do that? He does that so that we seek him like we would gold or silver. He does that so we understand his mind. That's, I think that's the reason why God does this is that in Leviticus, we have this conflicting story, this conflicting law in Leviticus 19. So I'm, I'm, I may read the... I have in my notes to read several of the verses, but we're just going to start in this one in Leviticus 19. At the end of Leviticus, one passage, Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, unless I'm missing something here, and it's, highly, it's completely possible, we just got done looking uh, in Exodus uh, 21. Five chapters after this chapter in Leviticus 24, we have the eye for eye. In Deuteronomy 19, we have the eye for eye. In Leviticus 19, which is prior to Leviticus 24, we see this rule, this God, that's, this God that says to the people, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now that word vengeance means to avenge, to get revenge, or to punish. That's what that word means in Leviticus 19.18. Uh, another passage in Proverbs uh, chapter 24, I like Proverbs, especially for young men. I would highly recommend reading this, putting it by your bedside and reading Proverbs throughout the week and just start at Proverbs 1 and go through Proverbs 31. But in Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 24, it says, starting in verse 23 rather, it says, these also are sayings of the wise. Okay, this is a proverbial saying by Solomon of the wise and it says, Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. I thought of Joe Biden right there. I'm sorry. I had, like, I had to think of our current administration where it says, um, whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by people and abhorred by nations. We are so disrespected on our world stage because our leaders of the free world, our administration, is telling people that are wrong according to the word of God are right. And they are bored by nations and they are cursed by people. Sorry, that's my one political rabbit trail. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Here again, these are also sayings of the wise. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with your lips. 
Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So it seems to be there is some wisdom in not getting retribution. Doesn't it? I mean, one of the laws in Leviticus 19 says that we shouldn't get revenge, that we shouldn't punish for wrongdoing. Proverbs, a wise saying, again, says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. It, it seems that, it seems like the Bible has these rules and it has these laws in the Old Testament. They're very clear. But if you, if you start looking at the shadows, if you start looking at the stories, the little snippets that don't seem to belong, or the, the stories that you go, I can't believe that that happened, you see a picture of God's mercy. You see a picture of God's mercy through the entire Bible. I've used this example in the past. I read through Leviticus uh, just recently and some this morning too as I was going through some things. And uh, some of the Leviticus is, I mean, there's some laws in there that, that it says if you, if you are approaching another man's wife and you sleep with her, the penalty is death, like stoning to death. That was the penalty. And yet, a man after God's own heart, we've looked at David and Bathsheba. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. David did something which God says deserved death by stoning. And Bathsheba, death by stoning. Neither one of them were stoned to death. There's a picture of mercy in the Old Testament. If you look at Leviticus 19 and you look at God's care for other people, Leviticus 19 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. And then, in, in verse 9, he goes on to say, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You see this throughout the entire Old Testament is God's mercy and His love and His concern for the human race. And I want to I bring that up because next week when we talk about the remainder of this retaliation, but He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs, and do not refuse the one who would borrow. Now very quickly, just as a teaser for next week, most people are right-handed. Right? So why does he say right cheek? 
Kirk, what's your right cheek? That side? This side. As I'm facing you, it's that side. How could I hit you on the right cheek? The backhand. Not that I would. But backhand. So is he talking about physical? Or is he talking about insulting? Food for thought. The cloak and the tunic, two articles of clothing that every Jew owned. Jews owned many cloaks, one tunic. Going with him one mile, two mile, they were uh, under rule of Roman law. When you were by law, the soldier said, do this, you had to do it. Take this, carry this with me, carry my groceries, carry my fodder for my horses, carry my water, you had to do it. Jesus addresses actual real-life situations here. And he's saying, one, one, one man said, and I love the way he put this. He said, about this passage, there are a few passages in the New Testament. Listen closely, because we're going to talk about this next week. There are a few passages in the New Testament which has more of the essence of the Christian ethic than this passage has. There are, there are a few passages in the New Testament which has more of the essence of the Christian ethic than this passage has. If somebody wants you to go one mile, go two. If they want to sue you, give them your tunic. If anyone slaps you, turn the other also. I do not believe, for the record, the Bible teaches that we are to not protect our family. That we are not to protect ourselves. I don't believe the, I don't think Jesus is referring to that not even a little bit here. Just for the record. So, with that said, um, again, happy Mother's Day. And I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. And I hope to see you next week when we talk about getting backhanded and having to hike more than one mile. All right.